My name is Andy. I help people live life on purpose. This podcast explores the mystery, beauty, and complexity of life through conversations with an array of incredible practitioners, all of them working at the edge of what's possible for humanity. This is a place for big dreams, bold creativity, and fierce hope. Welcome to the Wonder Dome. If you're inspired by this conversation and you'd like to see it reach more people, you can help the Wonder Dome take flight by sharing it with friends and colleagues, subscribing, giving us a high star rating, and best of all, leaving a glowing review. If you'd like to go even further, consider becoming a monthly supporter. You'll help me keep the lights on and support a wide range of charitable causes. You can learn more at mindfulcreative.coach. Thanks in advance for helping us inspire the world. Episode 110 of the Wonder Dome. This episode officially marks the end of my 10-episode celebration of recording 100 conversations in the Dome. The opportunity to bring together past guests and new constellations have incredibly rich, deep, robust conversations about the kinds of stuff that you know the Wonder Dome loves to traffic in. Identity, possibility, purpose, creativity, presence, creation, all of these spaces that we can move in that are, are hopefully, if you're listening in, in some way, shape, or form, opening something in you, expanding something for you, helping you see and feel in new ways or old ways to access things that perhaps have been lost, that have been numbed. And that's, that's the space that this conversation plays in. I, I brought together three amazing human beings, Rada Jovovich, Cade Friedman, and Wesley Morris, episodes 6, 26, and 60. If you're a numerologist, uh, and you got something about triads or the number six, hit me with, hit me with some information on that. Uh, this, this was just a really sweet and special and meaningful way to close out this, this leg of the journey in the Wonder Dome, to bring these people together who were all meeting for the first time, who had a, all had the opportunity to listen to each other's past conversations, and who all brought a reading that speaks to something that's alive in their lives and their work. So that's the space that I play in today. You can learn more about Rada and Kate and Wesley in the show notes. Got links to those past conversations I've had with them. Also links to the amazing work that they do in the world. I won't list that all here. But as Rada says at the top of the conversation, it is meaningful work and often hard work to be a caretaker, to be a convener, to be a gatherer, to be someone who says, we can build beloved community. If only we find ways to take care of each other, to nourish each other, to celebrate with each other. As we also accept that life is hard and our current reality is an oppressive one and a supremacist one. How do we hold both of those with joy and possibility? And Rada, Kate and Wesley are all doing that in their own beautiful ways. And one more thing, forgot to mention this, this is a big one. Today, the day we're recording this, it's October 11th, 2022, is National Coming Out Day. Awesome to record this conversation on this day. Uh, Cade, as I believe they mentioned on the recording, actually came out on our conversation, episode 26 of The Wonder Dome. And both Cade and Rada explicitly do work and contexts uh, supporting people in their identity, gender identity, sexual identity, to fully stand in those identities. And Wesley, although his work is more focused on the intersections of, of race and privilege and oppression, also is the convener and gatherer of a beloved community that is inclusive, that brings all to the table. So... When you hear this, it will no longer be National Coming Out Day, but if in any way, shape, or form it sparks in you something that you feel called to stand in, something that is you, even if you're scared to admit it, 
but that actually connects you more deeply to others. I hope that you can do that in a way that feels safe and empowering and meaningful because you will be doing great service to everyone in your life. All right. Now, let's get settled in. (sighs) And hear what Radha, Cade, and Wesley have for us. All right. This is a fun one. Episode 110 with some amazing human beings. Radha, Cade, Wesley, welcome back to the Wonder Dome. It's really good to have you here. Good to be back. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Cade, Wesley, anything you want to say by way of hello before we we dive into this fun one? It's just nice to see everyone's faces, even though that's not what our listeners will get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they say good day. Mm, mm. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for naming that, Kate. Although we will have wonderful headshots of each of you on, on the webpage for anyone who wants to visit. But yeah, it's good to see each of you. So uh, as you all know, and as some folks who are listening will know, this this conversation is the last in a series of conversations from episode 100 to 110, where I've been bringing together past guests. And I got to tell you, this has been really fucking cool to do. Uh, And I think, I might need to double check the math on this, but I think that you three for my final episode also represent the widest range of kind of chronological sort of journey of the Wonder Dome. I have one of my earliest guests, Radha, who's episode six, one of my like sort of first quarter guests, Cade, episode 26. And then like, you know, Wesley, you joined me in the back half post episode 50. I think we're episode 60. So that's like that, that I think that spans more than a year of conversations in the Wonder Dome. So this is a really kind of cool for me. In addition to all the beautiful work that you bring to the world and energy you bring to the world, this is like a nice symbol of the depth and breadth of the Wonder Dome. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And we're going to play with a format that I experimented with in episode 101, which I've invited each of you to bring something to read. Might be something you've written or something someone else has written. Might be poetry or prose or quote. And we're going to use each of those readings as a signpost or a, a milestone for wherever it takes us in the conversation. And for sake of, of ease, we're going to go in chronological order. So Radha, if you're ready, I want to invite you to read whatever you brought today. Yeah, right on. Um, cool. Thanks. I'm feeling, I'm feeling juiced. I'm feeling excited. I can't wait to um, dive in. And I'll give a very short preamble to the piece that I wanted to share um, that, you know, it's, it, it's great because I picked it and I wasn't, when I picked it, I was like, this is kind of a specific thing. And it, as, as we've been prepping and talking and connecting, it like feels very much of the vibe to me. Um, so I guess I was onto something. And I think what I'll offer is that, um, you know, I think all of us do really, really hard work. Um, some of the hardest work and some of the most undervalued work. I think in this world and something that my co-founder Shantae and I often say is that to be able to stay in this work, you have to be able to both scream and laugh at the same time always. And if you're ever not doing both, um, then there's something off, right? Like if you're not screaming, you're maybe need to be more in touch with reality. And if you're not laughing, then you're, you maybe need to be a little more in touch with resource. <laughs> Um, and that you really, really have to have both of those things. And um, I spend a lot of time talking about the screaming part, <laughs> about, I use I say the words white supremacy hundreds of times a day. Um, and every time I say that, it has one kind of impact on your nervous system, right? Like your blood vessels constrict, your shoulders go up to your ears, your jaw clenches, your tongue gets stuck to the roof of your mouth, right? That is That is a normal and healthy way to react to the reality of white supremacy and um, the joy and pleasure and resource of it is also really, really important. So the I'm going to share a poem that to me is one of the like, it's like an IV of resource. Um, 
And like when I read this poem, I just like feel it in my body and it feels like fuel. And so that's kind of my offering. Um, so it's called So Much Happiness. Uh, it was written by um, an Arab American poet named Naomi Shihab Nye, um, written in 1952. It's difficult to know what to do with so much happiness. With sadness, there's something to rub against, a wound to tend with lotion and cloth. When the world falls in around you, you have pieces to pick up, something to hold in your hands like ticket stubs or change. But happiness floats. It doesn't need you to hold it down. It doesn't need anything. Happiness lands on the roof of the next house singing and disappears when it wants to. You are happy either way. Even the fact that you once lived in a peaceful treehouse and now live in a quarry of noise and dust cannot make you unhappy. Everything has a life of its own. It too could wake up filled with possibilities of coffee cake and ripe peaches and love even the floor which needs to be swept, the soiled linens and scratched records. Since there's no place large enough to contain so much happiness, you shrug, raise your hands, and it flows out of you into everything you touch. You are not responsible. You take no credit. As the night sky takes no credit for the moon, but continues to hold it and share it, and in that way, be known. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Rada. Such a great poem. Mm-hmm. You, you said it does something in your body. Would you be willing to say a bit more about like, what are you feeling right now as you read that? And then we'll get to hear from, from Kate and Wesley as well, but what's here for you right now? Um, yeah, I, I am, I am a, I'm a water baby. I am a, I am, yes, a, a water bender. If you're into, um, <laughs> yeah. Avatar. Avatar. Um, and yeah, to me, this just loosens me up, right? It brings me, it, I can feel my chest, um, expand with a kind of like warm fluid vibe, right? I can feel my rib cage relax on the sides. I can feel my palms really clearly. Mm. Um, Mm. and all of that just makes me feel very, um, able Mm. gorgeous resourced Uh, makes me available for connection kate i saw you kind of leaning in with some enthusiasm what's what's up for you as you hear that and hear rada share her her feeling yeah you know the thing that that came right up for me was that what we were talking about before we started the sometimes a lot of the work that we're doing is just not seen or known or appreciated. And sometimes you just have to tap back into remembering that like all of that work, like the happiness, like it is flowing out of us into other things and like to just hold that, you know? Mm. Mm. Um, mm. And, and that we're not alone, <laughs> that we're not the only ones doing this and that other people have that feeling of, of holding it and letting it go. Mm. like yeah. not letting it go away but like releasing it into the world you know thanks Kate. what about you wesley uh anytime i hear moon and night uh evoke think about the ongoingness of the world the earth and the sky and the pleasure in it being in my mind uh, and the words that come to mind, it, 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 there's a simpleness and a basicness uh, to it being held together and continuing to go on and on and on. I've had a chance to be close to trees recently in our yard. Unfortunately, some have been struck by lightning and others have been hollowed out by carpenter tree uh, ants and had some folks come and and do uh, some cleaning and clearing. And it just opened up new vistas and new ways of understanding what's always been here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, wow, this is always going on. And Mm -hmm. recently, a couple months ago, went to the beach 
and was able to be there at nighttime. I said, man, this is always here. I just actually showed up today and was able to see it. And I think that that's something that uh, I reflect on through you, uh, Rada, a lot, the it being here and then creativity and operation language that I've heard you use. It's so amazing to me in this moment to hear that poem and then to be reminded that that's all happening right now. Uh-huh. Right now, like right now. It's nighttime somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. My, uh, it, it was a full moon this weekend. It's about, it's, uh-huh. it's a, it's a waning moon now, but it's still pretty full and, and it's set late in the day. So I came out with, with my two older kids this morning and immediately my son, August looked out the window and was like, the moon. And they both ran over the window and they're like, why is it out right now? Like, what's going on? Like, it's, you know, the tree, there are the trees. It's going to set in a few minutes. Like, Why is it going to set? What does set mean? Like, they just was like the sort of that, there is that happiness, that pureness of just being in touch with the mystery of this beautiful thing in the sky that, that, that we can't, we can't, but help, but help ourselves to stop and be kind of in awe of. And, Mm. and I love for, as adults, it's easy to lose that, but Rada, that poem is, really, really captures that powerfully. Uh Uh It it also made me think of like, you know, especially just coming off of so much intensity in the pandemic, like, you know, first responders and like the, the being highlighted for being people who are sort of always on the front lines and like there to help out and that we've always been there. Um, but not always acknowledged. And there's something validating about having had a few years now of so many people who had to like really work through all of this, weren't just at home or, Mm. you know, transitioning Mm. to online work and stuff and, Mm. and having to be there to support so many people. Yeah. That, that like, this is always happening insight, Wesley, that you're playing with. We could actually, we could actually touch our fingers on any part of existence and go, this is always happening. Like right now, someone's in pain and suffering right now. Someone's trying to care for someone right now. Someone's overflowing with joy right now. Someone is in deep sorrow. It's all always happening. And this, the folks, as you, as you mentioned, Rada, who spend in some way, shape or form, a lot of their life energy doing the hard work of care, but not being seen for it. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really grateful. You can be like, Nope. It's like right now. It's happening. We were noticing it more because we all had, we all benefited from it more. And we had like and the, the, we being sort of the most general we, I might imagine, but, but yeah. that is like, yeah, right now it's happening. Yeah. And I think, um, I love all these reflections. Thank you. And I, I think that it's also, um, I'm, I've been, I've been very present to the reality of patterns around bypass override and numbing. Um, and I think I've heard each of you kind of talk to pieces of that in your episodes and earlier this morning. Um, and I think, you know, Andy shared a wish for an appreciation for weirdness in the world. Right. And, um, and I think that that's another piece of like the weirdness is always happening as well. And it's just whether we're like open and present to it. And I think I find I find the 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 persistence of numbing really scary. Like I think that if I were going to pick one thing that I just think is very very scary is our programming and capacity to not be present to reality because of the like inherent heartbreak of so much of reality to put it lightly. Um, and I find that poetry broadly, I read a lot of poetry, um, cause it really, to me really does bring into presence full breadth and spectrum of experience. And particularly this poem is not just saying like, Hey, let's just be happy. Right. And only focus on the happiness, right. It's ha- let's hold all of it and have one of those pieces still be joy. Mm. So much joy that it overflows. Mm-hmm. there's a, a notion that we can lose something and then find it and I think that that's so important that 
we lose things. Even if I lose my keys and then I find them, it's like that whole moment because I'm missing something. Like there's a gap, right? And I get to experience what that gap is, but they were there. The keys were there. Mm-hmm. And I, I was just really drawn to my grandfather. My grandfather, he he wrote a letter. It was four pages and is on typewriter. And it's the biographical sketch of John Caesar King. And he talked about his life, his life as a teacher, as an agriculturalist, a farmer. And he talked about the associations that he was a part of. This was in the house. Nobody knew where it was. I always felt an affinity. He passed when I was three years old. But he was there, even though mm. I mm. couldn't mm. get with him, you know. But I found this letter, and it's in a desk right beside me now. And so those gaps in life, being able to say, I'm going to explore and figure it out, is so important because there's, to me, I also experienced that on the, the whole, uh, the pinch. <laughs> there's a pinch, uh, you know, there's a pinch in terms of like a thorn or something. I've had that happen. I don't know where it's at. I can't find it. It's so small, but it's pinching me. Mm. And I can't, I, you know, where is it at? <laughs> but if I, I find it, I'm like, okay, got it. Got it. And I can do something about it now. But the whole idea that if you've never lost anything and then found it, that's hard. That That's hard. I think it is, it's, it's important that we help each other and ourselves at least find some things. And that takes a certain kind of uh, metal, I think, or thinking or a way um, to be able to find something that was lost and not just as, accept it as lost. Hmm. It makes me think about discovery also, right? Like not just finding something that's lost, but discovering something that you didn't even know existed. Like Andy's kids running up to the window and being like, well, what's going to happen to the moon? (laughs) Um, That like that sense of, of figuring something out. Right. And like the, even just not the getting to the figuring out, but that you are trying to figure something out is grounding. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, that's evoking, maybe I'll, maybe this, this will be the stance I take a lot today as sort of uh, a, a, a parent, parenting as a verb, but there's a way in which I also, my kids consistently help me discover how much either I have yet to discover or I have lost by virtue of being in this particular cultural context that I, that I exist in. And just like for a really simple uh, example you know, my daughter, why, why, why is that? Like, why is that the word? Why is it called the moon? Oh, all right. Like, we're going to have to like, do you really want to know? Let's get to the library and see if we can figure out why is it called the moon? Uh, and, and you start, and we start to dig and, and she's four and a half. So language is, she's really coming online with language and, and like grokking stuff that even a year ago would have just been so, and I'm going like, well, I kind of sort of maybe a little bit know why it's called the moon, but I don't know, actually, let's go look it up. And you just discover all of these, like, it traces back through ancestors, through lineages, through cultures, many of which are still with us. Like Wesley's letter is was still with him, even though he didn't know where it was. And then finding that uh, can be quite hum- both humbling and inspiring at the same time so it's like both it's both a new discovery but also a rediscovery all at once yeah there's a part of me that kind of wants to outlaw the word discovery i'm like i don't know that sounds kind of like colonizer talk like it was already there i didn't discover it right i just i just happened to be paying attention at that moment yeah yes (laughs) love that and, and this connects to the power of poetry and language, right? Like poetry and language, they aren't reality. But, but they, if, if attuned to with sensitivity in the way that you've brought us in with this opening poem, Rada, they can get us really close to reality in ways that language can also really distance us from reality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like just the relearning the English language with my four and a half year old daughter is making me is opening me up to all the ways it's beautiful and also all the ways it's destructive and Hmm. also all the things that it's absorbed and appropriated and accommodated and put together. 
I like that. This like, there's nothing to discover. It's actually all, all here. We just said we show up at the right time, at a time. If we show up at a time, something beautiful can happen. I think of poetry and uh, language like it's by extension. There's an angle and it stops at a particular point for my reality, but by extension, I'm still connected to it. I'm still connected to, yeah, I know you by extension. I'm related by extension <laughs> and poetry is an extension of my human experience. And, and it comes out just by chance, by the language that I was acculturated in, by the one, the accent that it was talked and spoken around me. And, but by extension, it's me relating to a broader sense than just my, uh, I guess the ego self, myself, right? And so by extension, I'm able to talk and be a part of uh, this pool of language, which shows up with meaning. And I had a similar reaction, but I didn't know where it was coming from when I heard discovery, right? But I think that we had already kind of tempered some of the conversation around uh, what white supremacy, the idea of white supremacy, what that does in the world. But there's just, even if that word is in uh, another space, right? You know, how does it still affect this centuries of of knowledge in my body there's something that it remembers there's something that i've spoke about with trees that the uh it's a common phrase that the tree remembers what the axe forgets and <laughs> it drips <laughs> with uh some sense of uh organic uh undividedness about what my memory knows and if I can remember what my memory knows, then there's some subtle features of my language that change. And there's some subtle features of my uh, shifting in the chair, you know. But I also think that um, how do you still express the inexpressible joys that come along um, with life and when other definitions and other people's actions have grappled with those words and transformed them and mutated them. And so there's such a battle with language and as, as site specific for my body today, I, I'm, I'm just glad that there's an awareness mm-hmm. and not necessarily that I have to go into the awareness and become the, the idea of it being a certain way, but I get to experience mm-hmm. what awareness does. Mm-hmm. which makes me alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited about the other two. And so I like keep wanting to not talk because I want to hear them, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you the, we'll make this the last word on this round so that that kid. Yeah, I just am loving. I just like, yeah, the like what I'm here. Like, I love this play with knowledge and language and meaning and what, you know, like what tools or toys we have to work with and when they turn into weapons. And, and I think, you know, I I'll offer this is that, that, you know, the root of knowledge, right? Like gnosis is of the senses, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we, we kind of divorce it. We like separate it out and we turned it into only like cognitive brain information is knowledge. Right. And I'm like, no, I like, you know, and I hear Wesley in, in, what you're offering this, like bringing it back to the root of my body knows first. And then it, the way that we learn, we are socialized to like transfer that information cognitively is through words when really we're also transferring that information, you know, neurobiologically. Right. Um, But yeah, I just like, I'm, I'm excited about that thread and I'm like, Mm. I'm like, let's, let's keep holding that thread right over the rest of these Mm these offerings you know Mm, mm. yeah words are sounds right they are there there's a physical happening right now and anyone who hears this will there will be something that is happening in their bodies first before anything happens in their thought patterns it's a really important distinction so Cade maybe as you share some sounds some words with us. We'll see what else happens for us. How does that sound? Yeah. Rada, I also just want to thank you before I go jump in for pointing out the, the concept of discovery as a colonizing word, which I hadn't thought about before. And so thank you. 
awesome. and thinking about other words that I can use that get to that without um, invoking that idea of colonization. Yeah. Um, so I guess not surprisingly, I chose a, a passage that is very in line with what we're talking about. Um, and it comes from Mia Mingus, who's a disability justice educator, trainer, advocate, um, and who I feel very aligned with. And in these past few years, I've also been, you know, wrestling with my own um, awareness of, of disability um, and ways that I struggle and take up space and don't have opportunities. And um, and I've actually been claiming neurodivergence lately. So it feels good to be jumping into this. Um, and so this is what Mia Menga says. We must leave evidence. Evidence that we were here, that we existed, that we survived and loved and ached. Evidence of the wholeness we never felt and the immense sense of fullness we gave to each other. Evidence of who we were, who we thought we were, who we never should have been. Evidence for each other that there are other ways to live, past survival, past isolation. Hmm. Hmm. Anything else you want to say about that as you presence this evidence? Yeah, I mean, it just, it, it, I feel like in this moment, it's a lot of what I'm feeling and thinking in terms of like who I want to be in the world and, and the ways that I'm showing up and the ways that I'm supporting people and, and also having forgiveness for ways that I and other people show up because of conditioning. Um, and just, you know, really holding that we're all, we are, are all really trying to do our best. And some of us have more practice and resource with that than others. And so the, the, the evidence is your process, right? It's the journey. And, and for me also, I, you know, as a non-binary trans person, like I'm often thinking about the evidence left by other non-binary and trans people throughout history that made my existence possible. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll offer there's a few little nuggets that are emerging. Thank you for bringing that um, and sharing it with us. I think yeah, I hear and like one of the first things that emerged, I think, is what you're kind of pointing to is like the timeline of it, which again comes back to, you know, some of the stuff Wesley was also saying, and you know, is this like um yeah, the long arc of humanity and the universe, right? And humanity is this big in the really long arc of everything else. Um and and I really appreciate both the like grounding of I am in, I am a piece, I have, I have impact, I have, you know, legacy, evidence, whatever. And I'm enmeshed in so much else in that ecosystem, um, historically, intergenerationally, energetically, you know, socially. Um, and yeah, and it, it makes perfect sense in the context of Mia's work, right. In disability justice of just like, what does it mean to take your space, um, in a collective community of care? Um, yeah, so really beautiful. I'm, this is the first time I'm learning of Mia's work. I'm excited to learn more about it. I'm reading a book right now called The Dawn of Everything, which is um, it's a history book written written by two white male historians. So kind of like with that grain of salt in the mix, they are nevertheless engaging with what does the evidence actually tell us about our ancestors, about our quote unquote prehistory, which, you know, they kind of were like, come on, y'all, like, who decided what's history and prehistory <laughs> like, and the, the, the beautiful, it's a 500 page book. I'm about 300 in, so I won't try and summarize it, but one of the, the powerful takeaways that 
connects to what for me in that poem is this beautiful recognition that the more evidence we gather about where we came from and who our ancestors were, the more, if we're paying attention, the more we can begin to realize that the stories we have are one, not true, or at best only partially true. And two, like a really, a really borrow, boring narrowing of what people are actually capable of, what, how we are capable of being together, of relating to each other, of, of trading and resourcing with each other, of building civilizations with each other. And the evidence is all there if we, if we're willing to look for it with open eyes and without that kind of like seeking for a certain kind of affirmation or confirmation of what we already know. In part of Cade's reflection about others making it possible for you to be who you are, uh, the next almost comma line is because you are, others shall be. And I am, that thought came to me as you talked about the survival aspect at the end of the poem, I survived this uh, in isolation. And just being able to survive and think about the uh, ways that ancestors have had their particular lives, which I, for for a long time, I projected my idea of what their life was. <laughs> and I didn't just accept what their life had to be. And it could have been many things, uh, many things that I would have edited out <laughs> in my sanitized view, a vision of what I would want to be in this life. And I think that there is an acceptance in the word that I have uh, not uh, overcome and I'm not at peace with the word surrender, um, but I am thinking about it more, um, particularly as it relates to who I want to be and knowing that I'm inextricably bound to producing something else by way of relationship. I'm related to others. I grew up and I was a young uncle and I think of the world, the role of just kind of, you know, thinking about those uh, beloved uh, kids that are now grown and I've married now, you know, I've, you know, I was officiating their wedding and, 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 and now I'm, I'm thinking about that. I actually am the comma when I talk about, you know, the Ubuntu because of them, I am, but the other part is because of who I am and who I've had the opportunity to be, they shall be. And I think about also the word in, in, in surrender again, of, of being able to work with a different ego position than the world afforded me. Um, and by way of the track that my life had, it's given me a certain way, right? And then if I take the time to say, well, what does it what does it look like to take a moment and to not have a reactive kind of relationship with what the world gave, but to have a centered like approach that that's more closer to what I want what mm. I mm. yeah and i I feel called called to to observe the holiday on which we are recording yeah. this episode, national coming out day. I know it'll come out. It'll be published soon, but um, you know, I'm just sort of like noting the auspicious, the, the the specific version of what you're talking about, right? Of like, it is such a legacy holiday, right? It is such a holiday about what it means for one person to be and what it makes possible for other people to be and to become. Mm. Mm. Um, and that like, it really, to me does point to this like interbeing and the role of one in many um, and how that visibility is something. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm into it. Mm. It also just makes me think as we're talking like about the trajectory of like national coming out day and like, you know, I think about growing up in the eighties, like, and then in the nineties that it gets better campaign was like, you just have to survive this, right? And now it's like National Coming Out Day, like fucking celebrate it. <laughs> mm, mm, <laughs> and mm. and that like moving through. Um, Wesley, you're making me think of the word acceptance, right? Yeah. Instead of like reacting, just like accepting it and like 
breathing into it um, as it is. You were saying earlier, Rada, that like the that I can't quite remember the language you used, but this the, the way that we numb ourselves, like that's really a source of of worry for you. Something that you really want to help yourself and others with is to like feel. And um, it put, puts me in touch with an expression of that, which which might be a kind of numbing, but also perhaps its own category of just like the ways in which we have the capacity to define ourselves by what we are not and the ways that we can do that so dangerously and painfully on the expense of this, this other who we, we find all the ways that we're not like them and make them our enemy and then try to maybe even erase them if, so that we can feel okay about who we are. Like that sort of, the, if we were sort of take numbing all the way to its extreme, it's actually an attempt to erase reality so that we can feel okay with the identities we've taken on. And, and that is one of the things that worries me most is like, actually you can be who you are in theory, not in practice. Like there's a lot of evidence that this is much harder to, to do than say, but you can be who you are while someone else is who they are. And you don't have to numb yourself from that, that there's actually no threat in the celebration. There's no threat. There's no loss. There's only expansion and deepening and enrichment. So it's awesome to see that we've arrived at a point where National Coming Out Day exists and it's a celebration as opposed to just a survival, like it's going to get better. And it's also tragic to see that, that there's this sort of counter response or this kind of like increased fear of like, well, if you exist, that's something that's terrible. That's, I have to erase that. We can't celebrate that. And uh, I'm aware that we don't have a lot of time, so maybe I just I just would be curious to hear before we we pass to Wesley to close. Like in this moment, how are y'all relating to that as part of our work? To say we're here to help people stand up, and also when you stand up, other people are going to be afraid. And mm-hmm. how do we hold that? What does it look like to help people hold that? I almost, I think I want to offer two resources. One is that I'm reading a book that's called Conflict is Not Abuse. Um, and it is about how normal conflict is, right? That conflict is a natural thing that happens when two people are different, AKA always. <laughs> and that really, what really becomes uh you know, scary, problematic, difficult, you know, violent is when that conflict is misconstrued as abuse, Mm. right? When, Mm. when that difference is instead of just being different horizontally is propped up on a hierarchy Mm. Mm. where one is more human than the other Mm. and that there becomes a moral imperative to brutalize to exterminate Mm. Um, and that that, you know, that that conflict gets misconstrued as abuse and that the retaliation is justified. Mm. Um, And I think that the other resource I'll offer is a um, a person that I experienced through Instagram, whose first name is Alok, A-L-O-K, who really puts yeah, Kate's like Kate's feeling all my references here. I um who is very much of the like very clear belief and knowledge that when someone spews that hate outward, it is actually just that like projection of of internal internalized hate, right? Like their own inability to accept their own, you know, gender identity, body expression, um, what have you, and like how much compassion and like care we can have for that experience Mm. Mm. um, in this sort of like hurt people, hurt people sort of paradigm Mm. Um, and being able to tap into like my own fortitude, you know, my own like fortified sense of self to be able to extend at least like at, you know, a boundary or even compassion. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
compassion is a is a is a beautiful bridge to me. I think about that related to the question about if someone else is afraid uh, in your standing. Well, there's parts of me that have been afraid, <laughs> so I'm, it's not unfamiliar. And so there is this way of uh, not being overcome by it. And that's the pause. That's the moment that we get before it's a reaction. Right. And so standing, uh, we need. And I also I also a big believer in that we do need more folks to stand in in their truth that is is conscious that they're connected to others not one that is destructive towards others, but one that is actually constructive and healthy towards other people, but also to the earth, the land, and by extension, uh, all of the things that we're connected to. And so I, I think that there are more stands to be taken. Uh, there's more uh, more words to be shared, but across that, you know, that distance, there is this thing called compassion. That says that there is a part of me that has experienced what you're sharing or mm. what you're saying. Mm. And I'm not going to deny that because if I deny that, then I'm actually denying the opportunity for something uh, to happen. Um, and, you know, what do you call it? Stagnation is not a, a good process uh, and it creates other issues. And so I think that that's what's happened. There's been a lot of stagnant kind of uh, relationships between people. Otherwise, it didn't have to be that way. Intergenerational circles are so funny to conduct in that way because, you know, we have younger folks on one side and then older folks. And we say, what do you used to do when you were young? We, you know, and they're like, we used to listen to this and we used to go and go out here. This was our way of celebrating. And the young folks are like, oh, that's what we do now. And <laughs> it's just like such a revelatory thing that that didn't have to be such a static stagnation or, you know. Cold War between folks who actually have more in common uh, than they may have been aware of before the circle opened. Mm, beautiful. And that that difference can be a source of wonder, yeah. right? That that can be the, that's where the art comes from, right? Like, mm. yeah, we have a lot in common and where we're different is yeah. where creativity, creativity lives, yeah. you know? Oh yeah. If we're not afraid of it. There it is. So speaking of opening and closing circles, we've got about 10 minutes left, Wesley, and I wonder if there are some words you want to share as we as we head down the home stretch of this beautiful conversation. Yeah, bring us home, Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've moved between probably 10 different quotes <laughs> um, that have been shared, but I have been taken by this, this book um, by Rima Wesley Flad, who was just given to me. And not long ago, it's Black Buddhists and the Black Radical Tradition, the practice of stillness in the movement for liberation. And there is a short excerpt that I'll read. It's uh, something I actually just came across now. I just feel drawn to read it out of all the other things running through my mind. <laughs> um, but it says they invited Rosetta Saunders, a teacher of American history and a drummer in West African and Afro-Cuban traditions into the leadership team. Saunders reflects and says these words. It is such a powerful shift in our psyche when we begin to recognize those places of trauma within us. You have to be honest about trauma, where you hold it in your body and how to work with it to begin the process of releasing the cellular memories. For me, it is drumming, the heartbeat which has been my medicine in working with and healing my own personal trauma. My meditation practice started 18 years ago. I am not a Dharma teacher per se, albeit I've spent the past 25 years as an educator focusing on the histories of people of color in the United States. These two practices, drumming and meditation, along with the knowledge of my race history, have conjoined and expanded my ancestral healing journey. And I ended up selecting that piece um, partially because drums have been on my mind a lot recently. I played the drum set as a kid in the church, you know, boom, boom, boom on the drum set. Uh, but in, innately in me, I took travel when I was uh, very young at 14. My oldest sister took me with her to um, West Africa and visited a couple of countries, Ghana, Benin and Togo. And uh, the significance of drums and knowing some of my family's history as it relates to song and music and tone and pitch and all of that um, 
reading that passage, it, it just struck me that someone had a practice of 18 years. And then I'm around a lot of folks who are 70 and 80 years and have been alive twice the time that I've been alive. And that actually strikes me as important. And it strikes me as important today to say that I'm able in this space to be able to share with you all and to hear you all and to actually like be a part of this. And who knows? And I didn't know that Andy was going to reach back out to me for this kind of conversation. I didn't know all these things, but I got to keep on going. And there's something about reading someone who shared that they had 25 years or 18 years of a particular consistent practice that just moved me this morning mm. and thinking about mm. like what I'm doing today and like, man, I'll get to look back and say, you know, 18 years, 20 years, 30 years, God, you know, God when I've been able to do something um, that mattered um, that I can also share at some point, mm. but drums, cellular memory, um, mm. you know, all of that to heal which has been hurting and also to acknowledge that within myself, there is something that, that came into this world new. I, I, that's just something I hold to. Like there, there, there's, there's something that came in new. I did come with the influence of, uh, and so much from, from others, but there is something that I think is a spark that new, uh, that is new that I want to, you know, shout out today, man. Thank you. Uh, there's a, I haven't thought about it this way until this moment, but I, I'm at least in this moment in touch with the possibility that what we're, the four of us are doing and really what any of us are doing anytime we sit with another person or a group of people and really listen with them and be with them is a form of like, we're like making music together. It's a form of shared creative expression. And the fact that you all have been a part of helping me get this little corner of the universe and the interwebs to a hundred episodes and now 110 episodes is I'm just relating to that kind of humble beauty of this kind of, yeah, who knows where maybe, maybe the four of us will come together again in 20 years from now and go like, okay, like what music have we heard? What music have we made? What music do we want to make together right now again? And, and that brings in all of that. So there's just this beautiful kind of the sound keeps carrying us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Wesley, and hearing you share that, I it brought me back to my chest, right? It brought me back to like my own drums and bowls in my <laughs> in my body construction, right? Um, and what it feels like when the music of my people right? My ancestors, which is less drums and more horns, right? Um, and like what happens and reverberates in my body when I have that sensory input, you know? Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't actually have a ton of words for it. I'm just like feeling the reverberations of that um, and really appreciating it. It's also making me think a lot about how and this goes back to also what you were saying, Radha, about like numbing. And when you say numbing, I was thinking about like desensitizing and the ways that we are present and in community and in conversation and in touch with our bodies and music and rhythms and patterns. Um, instead of that, like escaping into like violent television that is a, a more increasing the numbing and increasing the not mm. being in the now and being with each other and is is so easy that and, and, and it's like dinner conversation it's like what people want to talk about and I'm always like don't tell me about the uh, excessive violent show that you're watching tell me like what is lighting your fire right now you know mm -hmm. like or who's the new person you met that like you would love to introduce me to and yeah just like staying in that in the in your body in the moment with each other and not looking for an escape mm. Mm. and how you. hard that is sorry yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no, how, like yeah like that there's very good reasons like that is a patho pathological response that was the perfect solution to a very present need right yeah yeah and like we can't just ignore 
all of that too, that like sends our system into that override. Right. Um, in, in a way, yes, I, I watch TV. I'm not. Yeah. Watch TV. No, I know. I'm just like, I'm just so, I'm be just conscious of the message. It's pushing yeah. you into you or hold, holding you from feeling, you know? Yeah. yeah. In a way, a part of the dance, and, and there are times when I don't have the energy for this, I retreat, but, but in a way, part of the dance of being with others is like, if you, can, if you can fucking play the drums, and you're just like, hey, play drums with me, and you're just like, so good at the drums, uh, it, in a way, it makes sense that the person be like, I'm not going to play drums with you, like, what, like, I don't even know what you just did, that was it, insane, like, no, let's just talk about something that I'm comfortable with, so it's like, hey, play drums with me, let me hear you play. Oh, cool. Yeah, I can play with it. You know, that's this sort of like way in which we meet the, we really try and meet the person right where they are and help them play with us because maybe they've never played before. And that's a really scary, vulnerable thing to do. And it's a hell of a lot easier to just like lean on the thing that, that feels safe. So that's a sort of like that, like the way that we can do that with each other is a pretty cool thing. Yeah. When you were speaking, Kate, I actually had to do an emoji reaction because I was so feeling the uh uh just what you were sharing about hearing about the messages that are so common and the routines and the patterns and for me it's that it's not that i'm not in those cycles as well and trying to interrupt them as much as i can personally but uh when i'm not numb i'm learning to really just be so grateful (laughs) and really to be like man this is this this is good for me right now and uh, when those other cycles come back and it feels cold, you know, it, that 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 happens. And also do my best to cherish and not let those moments outweigh these moments. Mm-hmm. Don't let that skew my idea of what uh, this is, this conversation, you know, and these conversations that are going to come from this. And and this is good. Like, this is really good because now it's like I get to go back into the day, get to go back into the week. And I've actually had more time of being alive. I've had more time reaching across difference. I've had more time like sharing and taking in ideas that really minister to my soul. And that actually gives me the opportunity to go back and say, I've had more time, y'all. Let's <laughs> let's make more time and to cherish this uh, mm. while we have it. Mm. That feels like the the perfect way, maybe maybe in closing, you could each just say as you leave this conversation today, how are you leaving or what are you leaving with that you want to carry forward like the moonlight into whoever else that you meet today? How are you leaving today? And maybe I can start just, uh, I'm leaving with a reminder after almost two months of not doing any, any of these interviews with a real clear reminder that this is medicine that this kind of way of relating to human beings is medicine. And I'm going to try and bring it upstairs with me, with my kids and my partner, starting right there after we're done mm-hmm. to bring this way of relating. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I'll pass, if you're okay, Rod, I'll pass the baton to you. Yeah. I would say the word that's coming to mind is just very open. I'm feeling wide open. Um, and I think, you know, uh, Wesley, what you were just saying is like, I I measure, I've decided there's no such thing as a bad feeling. The only bad feelings are the ones that for whatever, you know, survival coping mechanisms I resist. Right. Um, And once I can show up to them, right. When, like we were talking about the pinching or the, you know, like when I can actually just show up to them, they become a good feeling, even if they're really hard. Right. Like I love to weep. I love to weep. It's the time before I access the weeping that is really, really mm. rough. Mm. Mm. And I'm, I'm, uh, and yeah, and this, this is a space that I've, it has, there has been no resistance in my body to just receiving and, and, you know, being in exchange with, with y'all and, and individually and in group. So I'm just feeling very, um, warmed up in that way. Mm. Thank you, Rada. Mm-hmm. Kate, how about you? How are you leaving today? I'm feeling very similarly to Rada, very open and and ready for what's going to come and holding that presence. Um, And I'm also just thinking a lot about language and the ways that different words um, resonate and impact people and continuing to be really mindful of the words that I choose. Mm. Mm. 
Wesley, anything else you want to say in addition to this kind of more time, more aliveness that you spoke to? Yeah, this is Wesley and the train signing off. Mm. (laughs) Mm. Uh, This has been a great conversation. I'm glad I got to be a part of it. Mm. Beautiful. Thanks all. And thanks anyone who finds your way to this. I hope that it opens you in some way that's meaningful to you. Thanks for tuning in to The Wonder Dome. This podcast was produced by me, Andy Cahill, with support from Kelly Serqua, and audio editing and engineering services from Jim Serqua at Sump Pump Studios. The theme song was written and performed by Todd Marston. You can find The Wonder Dome wherever pods are casted. If you dig what we're doing here, please share widely, subscribe, and give us some love in the review boards. And if you feel called to support this humble offering to the world, while also making an even greater impact in the lives of others, consider becoming a monthly supporter. Not only will you help me keep the lights on and keep this show going for as long as I'm able, but 30% of all member contributions go directly in support of causes like the Black Lives Matter movement, the United Nations Refugee Agency, and the National Resources Defense Council. You can find out more at my website, mindfulcreative.coach, where you can also sign up for my newsletter, learn about my transformational coaching work, and get plugged into exclusive offers and community happenings. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a life of purpose, power, and presence. We need you now, more than ever.